It's good to be here at Redcliffe this morning. Been a while. And you know what? I am with my beautiful wife. So uh, I'm sure you're happy about that. You know, someone was saying to me, you know, it's been a little while since we've seen you and Nina. And uh, the reason is, is that I actually wanted to give Pastor Henrico, who's going to be pastor soon. We are working on it. Trust me, you're all right. <laughs> well, the process is in hand. But uh, uh, yeah, I just wanted to give him some fresh air. Right? I just needed to give him some, you know, some time where he was here, where he was looking after you guys, where he was doing the things that he was doing, so that you could just have some fresh air. If Nina was here, if I was here all the time, then all of a sudden you're going to come over to me and talk to us and, and do all these things. We thought, let's give Henrico some fresh air. And from what I've heard, you've breathed deeply and you've enjoyed having Henrico and Rosie uh, here. And uh, it's just great. It's just fantastic. So uh, I see some new people. I haven't been here probably for six, seven weeks now. So uh, it won't be that long again. So some of you think that's good, right? Some of you think, ah, oh, we like Enrico, right? So, uh, <laughs> so that's good. All right. So uh, I do want to encourage you before I preach this morning, I, I do want to encourage if you're a man here today that you would register for our men's conference next week. You, you know, it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, Pastor Ben Tifi is a great teacher and a great man of God, but it's not just that. It's just us getting together. You know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, Jesus is in the midst of them. And when you get a group of blokes together, all a little bit awkward, you know, because guys, we're just ego-driven, right? We just want to have the bigger this, the larger that, all of these different things. It's just our, you know, that's who we are. And, and so it's sometimes a bit awkward with guys just all together, but it's just a time for God to do something in our spirits, and God is going to do something great next week. So please, register now. We've made it as affordable as it can be. But if money's the reason you're not going, come and see uh, Hendrico and we'll work something out, right? If we don't want you sitting at home because you couldn't afford it, but we also do have to pay for it as well. So uh, that's why there's a cost and a charge. We're not trying to make money. We're just trying to cover costs. So uh, if you uh, uh, can be there, be there. Let's pray. So before I pray, I just want to say that the message today is something that is quintessential me, right? Um, this is how I feel Christians should be and Christians should live. This isn't so much a teaching, but I guess a talking about just some real life things that I think will help us as Christians to be better Christians and to be better witnesses of Jesus Christ out there in their society. So I just want to say that because I'm going to be pretty raw and pretty blunt today, uh, but it, it's my heart. It's, 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 it's kind of what makes up some of you. You want to know what I'm like? You understand a bit of my personality through this message. But let's pray. Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that what you want to say is what people hear today, O oh God. Father, I'm going to say some things. They're going to be important to me. They're going to be things that I place value in, O oh God. But Father, I want what you place value in to be what's heard, O oh God. So, Father, let me be the communicator today. And, Father, but let it be you who takes the word, makes it real, and touches people with that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to put up a scripture on the screen, and I'm going to ask us all to read it together. So let it come up there. So let's start. Proverbs 19, verse 11. People with good sense 
restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. That's my base scripture today. What an interesting proverb. To be honest, it's not so much a proverb, but a picture. It's a picture of two roads that we can take. A choice we get to make. See, in life, you're going to get triggered. In life, something or someone will trigger you. And I think we've got a picture of someone looking a bit triggered. All right? So that's my message today, triggered. You feel your emotion rising. You feel your blood pumping. And you feel the need to be right in the situation. Two rows are for you. You can get angry or you can overlook. This proverb makes it your responsibility as how you react when you get triggered. It shows us that anger will take from us, but overlooking will add to us. So let me show you something. Nina, you really ticked me off this morning. I've just had enough. We get here. And you've got a chance to say hello to people. What do you do? You just come in here and you just start talking to people. You talk to other people. But you don't talk to the people who are coming. So many people want to see you this morning because you haven't been here for a while. And all of a sudden you're not there. You know what? Just sit down. That's just a problem. You never want to listen to it. Whenever I speak, you just get up and leave. Right? Why don't you just listen? I know you hear me, but I need you to listen to me. Don't clap. You know, no one, literally no one here is uplifted by that exchange that we just had this morning. Right? Anger is bad. The majority of you feel disdain for me and very sorry for Nina. Even if by some measure you agreed with me, right? you would go, you could have done it differently or very much so in a different setting. I want to tell you the majority of the worst times of my life have actually resulted because of an uncontrolled outburst of anger where I was trying to dominate someone or I didn't get the response that I expected or I was needing to be right or I was just so frustrated that I just decided not to show self-control. You see, when a person gets angry, it always results negatively in their relationships. The words that are said the tones used, the facial expressions, or even worse, some of our physical posturing can scare people and it makes them feel uncomfortable. Sometimes people fight back, which actually makes the circumstance worse, but the majority of time, all it's caused you is to lose respect and to lose trust of that person. Even this morning, I guarantee you, there would have been people here who felt very uncomfortable the moment I raised my voice and the moment that that exchange happened because it reminds you of anger and uncontrolled outbursts of anger that have happened in your past. And sometimes people feel really uptight as soon as they hear that loud raised voice because of their bad experiences they've had in the past. So anger, whether you're right or wrong, always leaves you empty. Sometimes you can be right, but it doesn't excuse the anger. And that's why the Bible here tells us to restrain 
our anger. So I can hear some of you saying right now, well, well I can't restrain my anger. It just comes out. I'm just kind of hot-blooded. I just, I just boil over. I just got a quicker switch than other people. I, I want you to listen to me very carefully. When you get angry, it's you getting angry. And even if it is just a half a millisecond, you're the one who's made the decision to get angry. You can tell me, well, Jesus got angry. And yes, he did. You'd be right. When he overturned the temples and the tables in the temple. But it was a considered response. It wasn't just this out-of-control, emotional outburst so that he could exert his power over the people there. No, the Bible makes specific mention that he goes away, that he makes a whip of cords, and then he comes back. It was a considered response to what he saw was going on. So this morning, can we please agree that anger is bad, or at least agree with the proverb that it's good sense to restrain your anger. Can I get an agreement? Good. But it's actually the second part of the verse this morning that I'd like to concentrate on, where it says, they earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Unfortunately, human nature loves to find out the wrongs of people. We love to hear the latest gossip, the current affair, 60 Minutes, Today, Tonight. They're all stories about how people did something wrong. They'll chase people down the street, right, to see what they did wrong and embarrass them and shame them. They love doing that. You know, I thought one day, what would I do if someday I'm just there and the Channel 7 is chasing me or something, Right, because something did, someone at a merged church did something, and now they're chasing me. And I'm, you know, I'm caught, I, I thought I'm just going to make it really bad TV. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to run away. I'm just going to go. Uh, 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 I, yeah. Uh, uh, and all of a sudden, trust me, you're not going to be on their show, right? <laughs> They're not there. They want to make TV. They're not interested in the story. They want to make TV. You know, I listen to a lot of news programs on radio. And almost all radio programs, especially those political news programs, they're designed to trick someone into make it look like they've done something bad. Political parties on both sides make an art form of pointing out what the other side is doing wrong rather than telling us what they might actually be doing right. If a sportsman gets into trouble, it's all over the news. The media sets itself up as having the moral high ground, but then they go about holding people in the limelight to an actually impossible standard. But it happens in families. You know, when my kids were still at home, Tori couldn't wait to tell me what Rachel had done to her. Right? Like, Rachel loved to get Jack into trouble, right, for something he did. Jack, trust me, he's only too willing to tell me where I'm going wrong, right? <laughs> the only person they never spoke about is Nina because she's perfect. Right? <laughs> uh, even in church, we'd love to hear the latest gossip and we'll so easily believe the latest thing we heard about one another. Did you hear about the latest preacher to Paul? You know what Sylvia did? Woohoo! 
You wouldn't believe what Reuben's been up to. He did what to who? You know, if I told you a rumor about Hendrico, by tomorrow morning it'd be all over the church. It's just human psyche. I'm no different as well. We, we, we kind of want to know things. But it's not wise to hold people to a standard that we're not willing to live by. And if we, our lives were looked at with any sort of microscope, that we would fail as well in some place. The Bible tells us we need to overlook the faults of others, not note them. People who overlook faults find esteem. They will have honor. They can be trusted. Isn't it interesting? Anger pushes people away. Overlooking draws people in. God very much understands it as well. Romans 2 verse 4 says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's not his judgment, angry, protestation, you're going to go to hell, you're going to... That doesn't lead someone. It's God's kindness. The good news is that God is no longer angry with you, that he loves you and overlooks your faults, your deeds, your sins. That's the good news. That's the whole gospel. So let's look at this verse again. 1911. People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Now the word overlooking in this scripture is the Hebrew word abar. And this means to literally pass by. So what it means, it doesn't mean we don't see the fault. doesn't mean we don't know the fault. It, it, it doesn't mean that, that we just, you know, but what it does mean is that we walk past it. I'm not going to allow that fault, that, oh, that, that issue, to stop me from having a relationship. I'm going to walk past it. I'm going to go by it. You know, my faults are as obvious as the large nose on my face. But God chooses to walk past those things. It doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean that you allow yourself to become a victim again. But it does mean that you don't let what happened to you stick to you. You overlook the fault. King David had a massive issue with King Saul. Saul was bad to him. Saul had consulted demons. Saul was trying to kill him. So he decides to get out of there, goes into the wilderness, but never speaks bad about Saul. You don't find him anywhere in Scripture going, Saul's this, Saul's that. When other people speak bad of Saul, he rebukes them. The person who falsely claims to have killed Saul is killed by David because David wasn't having truck with that. You may need to move out of a situation of what's happening, but you don't have to tell every Tom, Dick and Harry now how bad that person is to you. Keep your opinion to yourself rather than slandering someone before someone who actually has no bearing on the situation. Now the word fault here, it doesn't mean fault like having bad breath or getting drunk. The Hebrew word means when someone has done wrong by you, they've wronged you. It's personal. It's real. It's in your gut. And that's the crux of what I want to believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to get into our hearts today. Can you 
let yourself be wronged? Can you walk past the wrong? In a society that demands its rights, where the individual is king, can you overlook someone wronging you? So what does the Bible have to say? Well, to be honest, it says a lot. And we're going to read a fair bit of the Bible today. 1 Peter 2 verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Everyone say unjust suffering. Because of why? Because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure, this is commendable for God, before God. To this you were called, why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and this is the key, instead he entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. Who really is in control of your life. And when you believe that God is in control of your life, not a man, not a person, not a situation, you're able to walk past. Because even if it is a fault, God is still greater than anything that comes against you. I trust myself to Him who actually judges justly. You know, Jesus, while he's on earth, often could have demanded his rights. You know, when they said, you've got to pay the temple tax, he goes, oh, I'm greater than the temple. I don't need to, uh, you know, actually uh, pay the temple tax. But then it goes on, nevertheless, I offend them, he goes and pays his tax. Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He's God. Right? But because it was the right thing to do, it says, because it fitted righteousness, right, he was baptized. There are times, because we have a conscience before God, that we do something we don't have to do. It's one of those things. I also think about it, every much the sins that we looked for at today were happening in Jesus' time. There was homosexuality, rampant homosexuality. There was sexual sin like you wouldn't believe. There was abortion, there was slavery, there was all these different things. But Jesus never went about and spoke all of those things. He just went about and spoke about the kingdom of God. Paul in his writing to Corinthians says this, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have, already, you have been completely defeated. That's heavy words. Already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? You know, Paul had an amazing attitude to people doing wrong. I think these are some of the most convicting words in the whole Bible. Why not let yourself be wronged? Why not let yourself be cheated? What a Christ-trusting attitude. It's actually awesome Christian maturity. It's, it's quite amazing. You know, Paul knew a thing or two about overlooking. You know, one of the things that I dislike is when someone is only too happy to pull down a leader, especially when the leader has done something wrong. 
You know, his whole Instagram page is actually designed with the thought of pulling down leaders, of pointing out their mistakes and flaws. And yes, unfortunately, not all our leaders and the people we look up to have acted excellently. To be honest, some have done some terrible things. But do we have to go about and muddy everyone else's water? No, we don't. See, someone is a woman or man of God. What that is, is that man of, woman of, or of God. When we see someone on the pulpit, when we see someone on the TV, when we listen to someone on a podcast or something like that, we see the of God. We see their gifting. We see what it is that God has put upon them. We put on, we see the of God, the anointing. We see that gifting and that's what attracts us. But what happens is that they are a man of. And the longer you spend with anyone of God, you start to see the man of. And every man and every woman has got flaws and has got some humanity. There's only one perfect one and that was Jesus. And that's why the Bible says if you're dealing with someone in sin, have the attitude of not like I'm better than you, I don't sin, hey, look at me, I'm pretty cool, right? But the attitude is like of this, is like I restore with a spirit of, of uh, meekness because you may have messed up here, but there's some other place I'm messing up, I'm not doing so well in, right? You may not do the big five anymore, but there's, you know, so many other things. There's attitudes and things that we do and all of that stuff. So I just want to say to you, just like, understand, it's the spirit of meekness that we have when someone. The Bible tells me, be sad when you're, don't be, sorry, don't be happy when your enemy stumbles. So how would I be happy when a man of God stumbles or a woman of God stumbles? You know, those people were around in Paul's day. It wasn't like everyone in the Bible was perfect and they just had great times. No, it's, it's not a modern phenomena. Paul had a great overlooking attitude about men of God who messed up, who actually weren't men of God. Philippians 1.5 It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. That's the Bible. In Paul's day, they had five minutes and already people are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. He thought it would have been so glorious. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. These others, they do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice and I'll continue to rejoice. What an amazing attitude. Right? So he knew that they were cads. He knew that they weren't men and women of God. He knew they had false motives. But he understood that it's God who works the message anyway. Right? It's God who takes the message and makes it life in someone's life. I'm not here to convince your mind. I'm here to be used by the Spirit of God that He does something in your spirit, right? And so whether it's preached, it's God who takes it. God will deal with the motives of the man or the woman. That's God's place, and He will, and He does, right? But let's not kind of do Let's just have this attitude, at least the gospel's being preached. Romans 12 verse 19 says, Do not take revenge, my friends. 
but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, His mind to avenge, I will repay. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In that society, that's radical words. They didn't have a law enforcement. If, if, if I punch Enrico in the nose, he can go to the police and I'll be arrested. Right? He'd punch you four times back. I wouldn't do that. Right? <laughs> but but you, you understand, right? That there's, we've got courts and we've got laws and we've got all of these people. Back then they didn't have that. I'm just going to get my brother and my brother and I are going to get Enrico and then he's going to get his brother and his dad and his brother and dad are going to come back at me and then I'm going to get, you know, and, and then that's what happens and that's how wars start. Because I just got to be right. That's what happens in organized crime. That's why we see all these murders and all these different things. Because someone's offended someone and then they got to stand up for their rights. It's not biblical. It's not the way. It's not how God would have us to live. See, the code, key to overlooking, to walking past, is to love your enemies and to do something for them. The great chapter of love in Corinthians tells us love does not hold a record of wrongs. Now it's even more stark for Christian brothers and sisters, for us here. Right? It's, it's, that's, we should be that, that in the world for sure, but it's way more stark. Most important of all. So Paul's kind of like this, I'll say this is Peter. Most important of all. Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. That's talking about us. Above all, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. See, when I love someone, I, I want the best for them. I'm not here to judge them. I'm not here to dominate them. I'm not here to get them just to do what I want them to do. Right, I love them. So you could come to me and you could tell me faults about Nina. And I may even agree with you. But you know what? I love her. I know she's not perfect, but I love her. My love for her sees me overlook those things. My love for my brothers and sisters allows me to overlook because I'm more interested in having relationship with you than I am in being right. You know, that's why husbands and wives should never criticize their in-laws. Right? Don't criticize your in-laws because your spouse loves them. They're their mum and dad. Doesn't matter if they're being jerky. Doesn't matter if they're being foolish. Doesn't matter if all those things. They still love them. So pointing out their faults and all the things they're doing wrong doesn't help you because they still love them. They overlook their faults because they love them. Let's have a look at some more scriptures. Pretty stark. 1 John 1, 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 1 John three fourteen. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That, if you think about what that scripture is, that's actually saying whether someone's a Christian or not. Not whether they were did a sin, 
Right? Well, he does this, or she swears, or, or he did that, or she does. No, that there is a scripture that says, we know we've passed out of death into life. We know we're a Christian because we love the brothers. That's stark, isn't it? And all people are willing to tell me all sorts of people aren't Christians, right? Because they did this or they acted that way. But that scripture tells me, well, if you love the brothers, there's a sense of you passing into death to life. That's why I really find it difficult when someone speaks so negatively about other Christians. Because it's not of the light. It's not of life. It's of death. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love, for he who does not love his brother, whom he cannot, who has not, stop me again. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is not a hint. It's not like a little suggestion box over here that God is saying. Right? This is what God wants us to do. We've got to love one another. And the ultimate scripture, if this was the only one, it would be enough. But the ultimate scripture, John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. Right, the fact that we love one another, that we have unity. The Bible says where there is unity, God commands the blessing. Our job is unity, to love one another, and then God will bring the blessing. Let the best message of evangelism from a merged church not be something that I preach. Let it be you in your workplace. Let it be you in your uni, in your school, in your family, in your street. Let that be the message as you love one another. Imagine if we're here at church where we treated people with, with just love and respect, where we didn't judge people, where we overlooked faults, where, where we go past the wrongs done to us. We forgive others and we love wrongdoers. You know, to overlook faults makes us like God. Because God is the ultimate fault overlooker. I just made up a word, but it's a great word. All right? God is the ultimate fault overlooker. It's what he does every day. Abraham was a liar and God still used him. David was an adulterer and God still loved him. Noah was a drunkard and God still used him. Rahab was a prostitute and God still loved her. Jacob was a schemer and manipulator and God still used him. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. God still loved her. Paul put Christians to death. God still used him. Peter denied Christ three times. God still loved him. Mark Elmendorf has sinned, lied, manipulated, got angry, reacted wrongly and several million other things and God still uses him and loves him. God who is love is the greatest overlooker in the universe and as our scripture says, I esteem him greatly. I esteem him greatly, not because he's going to judge me and get me, but because he's overlooked all the wrong inside of me and yet still loves me. How good is God? God who has every right to get angry with me overlooks my wrongdoings. Let me show you something this morning. 
Genesis 9, 20 to 25. It's the story of Noah and his sons. Noah began to be a man of the soil. So this is after the flood. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan. So Ham is one of his sons, but it mentions Canaan, Noah's grandson. Saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth, the other two brothers, took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. So here you have this story, right? Now it's talking about something shameful. It was shameful for Noah to be naked. His son notices that Ham. Ham has a son called Canaan. What happens is that like Ham doesn't try and cover his father's nakedness. What he does, he now goes out and tells his brothers. He goes, oh, you see what dad's done? Oh, it's dad. What they do, they understand. So they're not going to bring him to shame. They go and cover him, make sure they're not looking, and they cover him. It's not Ham who gets cursed. It's Canaan who gets cursed, the son of Ham. I want to say, if you don't forgive, if you have an attitude of holding things against people, if you're willing to bring out the shame of people, if in your household you're willing just to talk bad about everyone, you don't curse yourself you curse your family. You teach them that holding a grudge is okay. That speaking negatively of people is all right. You teach them how to judge people and forever that will curse them. That will ever be a curse on their family. You know, not a person in this room wouldn't cringe and run away if a video was replayed of all the shameful things you've done in your life. There ain't a person here. Right, imagine there's a video on this big screen. Right, here comes all the stuff, Laura. Imagine that. Jonathan, ho oh, ho, my goodness. Right, like, vroom. you never see Jonathan run so fast. Right? Yet God, he's seen it all. He knows all our dirty laundry. He knows those shameful things that we've done. And he chooses to overlook. He chooses to cover. He chooses to, 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 to put it away. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, to put it behind his back, to put it in a sea of forgetfulness and say, no fishing allowed. Isn't the marvelous, wonderful, all-encompassing grace of God just incredible? Maybe the musicians would come. You know, one of the requirements that Paul gives to Timothy when he's saying, hey, uh, we're going to look for some pastors. We're going to look for people who can lead in the church. We're going to look for a Hendrico. He says, one of the requirements, one of the standards that I want set is that they're not a person given to violence. Now, that's not violence as he's going to punch people in the nose. That would not be a good way to pastor people. I don't think we need to go into that. That seems pretty reasonable. But it's not actually talking about physical violence. In the original meaning, it's talking about someone 
who's contentious all the time. You say it's up, no, it's down. You say it's black, no, it's white. You say it's in, they say no, it's out. They've always got to have an argument. They've always got to be right. They've always got to kind of be have that thing of what's right and what's wrong and all of these different things. So don't put that person in a position of leadership. Because if you do, that's all they're going to do to people. They're going to have a line and they're going to, you're in and you're out. But God doesn't have that line. He doesn't have an in and out line. He said, I sent my son Jesus and all you have to do is step into what he has done. See, if you're going to have this line, all you do is push people away. As a leader, you need to be able to draw people in. You know, the church in society is considered by many to just be almost irrelevant and many people in the society are angry with the church and it's really because they believe that, you know, they believe that God hates them. They believe that all we do is judge them, that we speak bad about them and there's no love there. You know, church, let's love people. Let's overlook their faults. Let's talk and speak with people. Let's do things for people. Let the love of God in you draw them into repentance before God. I want to say right now, if you hate a brother or sister, give it up now. Decide this morning, that's enough. Even if they cheated you, even if they wronged you, even if they were the worst of a cad they could be, give it up and start to love them. Don't rejoice when something goes bad. Start to pray for them. You know what happens? When you start praying for them, you don't mean it at the start. You're doing it because you have to. You're praying to have a car accident. No. You know, like, you're, just, you know, you're not praying them the way that you're supposed to. But then what happens is that you continue and all of a sudden you start to pray for them. And all of a sudden you go, I, I pray for their marriage. I, I pray for their health. I pray for their relationships. I, I pray for their finances. And you start to mean it. And all of a sudden, it's like a drain just gets pulled out of your spirit. And all that angst and horribleness just drains away. It's how God wants us to live. Guard your heart. And let's be a church that draws people rather than push them away. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. Father, that we would be people, Lord God, that can overlook. Father, we've all been wronged. We've all had injustices perpetrated upon us. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, oh God. Father, let us be able to have the strength to rise up and to entrust you, the God who justly judges, oh God. Father, we put those people into your hands. We pray blessing upon them, oh God. Father, there's something we need to do. We will decide to do that, oh God. And Father, Lord, let it be that love in this house will be what draws people. We thank you, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.